We're going to be talking about the valleys and peaks uh, as we have been for the last few weeks today. And I do want to just give you a quick heads up at the end of the service today. Uh, I want to give you an update on where we are with the building uh, and uh, where we are financially and, and all of those things just to, just to be really clear about some things. But I'll be doing that at the end. Uh, so stay tuned. Uh, welcome. If, uh, if you're here with us, if uh, you're new with us, uh, you're new with us watching online, we're so glad to have you here. I'm Jay. I'm the lead pastor. And uh, we're just excited to be able to get together and gather and, and worship the Lord, whether you're here or online. We have an awesome online community that, that is uh, joining us every single week and so thankful uh, to be able to, to get together and worship in various ways and various mediums and so thankful for that. Um, if you want to follow along, you can uh, pull up the Bible app. Uh, the free Bible app. You can search for Connect Church in Akron, Ohio, and you can follow along with the notes there. Um, but we've been talking about the valleys and peaks and uh, the way in which the highs and the lows in our life can sometimes be misinterpreted when it comes to the presence of God. And we take those, those things and we take those times and those seasons of our life where maybe things are going really good means that we're in God's good graces. And if things are going really bad, it means that we're not. And we misinterpret that um, in, in various ways because we are very much about approval. We're very much about ap approvals of others and approvals of this world. And uh, the ups and downs of that, we put those expectations on God and we misinterpret God's uh, God's presence in our life, and, and we get worried about the fact that we've disappointed him, so that means I'm being punished for what's happening in my life. And so as we've been talking through some of these things, we've actually been looking at things that, uh, that go into the battle of depression, into the battle of anxiety, into the battles that take us even to deeper, darker places, as we've talked about before. And these are the things that, that the world likes to use, that uh, the enemy likes to use, and that our own brain likes to use against us. So we've talked about things like contentment. We've talked about doubt and trust. We've talked about spiritual habits, such as prayer, that should include prayer and reading God's word as things that can help us to navigate the valleys and the peaks in our life. And so today I wanna look at the idea of forgiveness and the freedom that we can have in forgiveness and God's almighty hand in the midst of suffering and in all things. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20 says this. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to keep many people alive. I'm sort of starting with the end and we're gonna work our way back um, to this. But this idea is the crux of what we're gonna be looking at today. So as we've talked about uh, and we honored our veterans today, I want to talk about another veteran just real quick. Uh, her name was Clara Barton that you may have heard of. And uh, she was the founder of the American Red Cross in 1881. Uh, and she was doing humanitarian work, civil rights work, uh, advocacy at a time before women really had the right to vote. Um, she spent her life serving others in the Civil War, uh, the Franco-Prussian War, the Spanish-American War. She helped with various floods and natural disasters and, and many other things, nursing other people to health in a time when women were not valued very much. And a friend of hers approached her, because as you can imagine, going through all of those things in that time, she went through some, some awful things and people treating her terribly, and people treating her awfully. And someone asked her and reminded her of something really vicious that someone did. Uh, in her past and said, don't, don't you remember that? Don't you remember it? And here's what she said. She said, no, I distinctly remember forgetting it. 
I distinctly remember forgetting it. Which is an interesting perspective to have. And something that we can all learn from there. Because she learned that forgiveness was not just a single act and a couple of words. But an active choice. If you hear nothing else today. It's not just a single act or just a few words that you say. This is an active choice that we have to continually make to overcome past hurts and pains. And it's, it's a conscious, intentional forgetfulness in some ways. But that can only come from the power and presence of God. Because I don't know about you, but I don't have the strength to do that or the capacity to do that on my own. <laughs> I can maybe get pretty close, but I don't have the ability to do that on my own. That's only the power and presence of God in my life. And, and we can also see that mentality and this mentality in the life of Joseph, which is the story we're going to look at today. We're going to look at the story of Joseph, how he chooses forgetfulness as a main ingredient, actually, in forgiving his brothers for the horrible things that he did. And so um, that, that verse in Genesis 50 that I started with is, is really a principle that that she's talking about, but also one that uh, really kind of ends the story of Joseph. That's really the, the end of his story. And so I don't know if you know the story of Joseph, but uh, it takes place in Genesis uh, chapter 37 through 50, and we're going to read all the chapters. I'm kidding. Um, we're definitely not going to do that right now. But yeah, it's a lot. Um, but I want to give you a very quick snapshot to bring you up to where we are going to be. Um, his story starts in Genesis 37, but, uh, but the, the main part begins in chapter 40. And in chapters 40 through 42 is where we see Joseph being sold into slavery. Whether you know his story or not, I'm going to give you a really quick snapshot, and I'm not going to hit all the highlights. In fact, I can't encourage you enough to go back and read the whole thing, because I'm probably going to do an awful job of this. But because there's a lot in there. He's sold into slavery as a boy, and his brothers were very jealous, which is why they sold him into slavery. They think he's dead. Years and years go by, and as he's in prison and moved around and various things happen, he actually prospers, even in the midst of this awful situation that he's in. Um, and he becomes known as someone who can interpret dreams. God gives him the ability to interpret dreams, and, and he eventually gets elevated and put in charge, second in command only to Pharaoh, like I said, I'm leaving a ton out right there. But he's renamed, uh, I have to read this, Zephaneth Paneah, which means revealer of secrets. And so he gets renamed this, which, which is a big deal in the culture because of, of how he's elevated. And so the dream that he's interpreting for the Pharaoh, he says this to him. He says, the dream means that there's going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. And so we need to be prepared for this, Pharaoh, and I have a plan. God has given me a plan on, on how to do this. And in chapter 38, verse 42, the Pharaoh says this, can we find anyone like this man, who, uh, one in whom is the spirit of God? So even the way in which he went about his life and he went about everything, told everyone around him where his trust really was, where his faith really was in the spirit of God. And so he's 30 years old about, he's working the plan, he stores up enough food, stores up everything for the whole country so that they're prepared when the seven years of famine hit. People in the surrounding lands, they hear about this. They hear that Egypt is ready to go. 
And so people start showing up to try to buy food from them. And his brothers show up. His brothers show up to buy food. And Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. They don't know who he is. So at first, he chooses to get back at them. And he kind of messes with them. And in chapters 42 through 44, we see Joseph actually sending his brothers back and forth uh, from home to Egypt. He keeps some of them in prison. Uh, He actually frames them uh, for the same amount of money that he was sold for into slavery. None of them really pick up on that. Um, In the end, though, it draws their family together in a really strange way, but in a way that can only be God. And it brings their family back together which is the way God intended it to be. And so this is where we pick up the story in chapter 45, all that to get to this. And chapter 45 is where we're going to be if you want to follow along. And so his brothers are here. He's been messing with them and sending them back and forth. And finally, finally, he can't take it anymore. And this is where we're at. Beginning in verse 1, right at the beginning of the chapter, it says, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. And Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Yeah, you think? I would be as well. Let me ask you this. It's talking about how he cried so hard. Have you ever cried that hard? so hard, so loud, and you didn't care who was listening. You didn't care who could hear you just because of the weight of the world and the things that maybe you've gone through in the time. Let me ask you this. How would you have reacted if, uh, if you were Joseph and you found yourself in this position as he was in chapter 45? I don't know if you could say that you would have reacted the same way that he did because you've got his brothers there as well. So there's his reaction to this, but then you've also got to think about his brothers. So many emotions, so many thoughts, so many things probably going through their mind. This was not what they expected when they showed up, right? I have to imagine that one of the things going through their mind was, well, we're dead. So Joseph had a choice here, though. Joseph had a choice that he had to make. Everything was out in the open now. It was all out in the open And he could literally do whatever he wanted because of who he was and because of the power that he had at the time. And he sort of did when he was messing with him. But now really came down to it. So how did he react? Let's look at verse 4. It says, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. What an interesting perspective to have. He draws them close, tells them, come come close to me. And this is such an incredible picture and foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. It really is the way in which he reacts because he models Jesus' sort of downward movement, if you will, how he came from on high 
down to our level to draw us close and, and to love us in spite of what we've done. See, Joseph chose to love and to forgive. He made the choice to love and to forgive. He stated their sin. He was very clear about what they had done, and they knew it. They knew what they had done, no doubt. But in compassion, and Joseph didn't want them to be upset with themselves. He wanted them to be free of the grief and the anger that he was clearly past. He had moved past it. He wanted them to be able to move past. Listen, getting revenge, hear me on this. Getting revenge, it's like drinking rat poison and expecting the rat to die. Bitterness is just poison. Wanting to get revenge, it's just poison. And when we choose to hit back, which we so naturally want to do, when we choose to hit back, we actually go against God's principles and against Jesus' advice. Look at what he said in Luke chapter 6. It says, but to you who are willing to listen, that's an important part, I say love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. That's not an easy one to follow. That's not an easy one to follow at all. But Joseph realized that God ruled his life. He realized that it wasn't, it wasn't men. It wasn't good men. It wasn't evil men. It wasn't circumstances and situations. It wasn't fate. It was God. It was God who was in control. And because God was in control, all things would work together for good. Maybe not your version of good. Maybe not his version of good. But certainly God's version of good. This wasn't going to work out the way that maybe Joseph thought it would good-wise. And things in your life may not work out the way that you want to good-wise, but it's going to work out the way that God wants it to. See, his choice was to love and to forgive. And so what will you choose in the circumstance that you're in? See, we treat each other like garbage a lot. We really do. We look out for number one, and we only think of ourselves when it benefits us. Of course, when we get in the valleys, we generally choose selfishness when we're in those valleys, as we've said many, many times. But that's not how God intended it to be. That's not his best for us. We have this attitude uh, that, that's become popular very much right now that, that just basically says, who cares what anyone else thinks? Who cares about what anybody else thinks? I'm going to do what I want, and you can't judge me. And we hear versions of that all the time. Instead, we should come from a place of love and we should forgive others because God is going to do something with that in the end. Listen, you will never be filled with regret from loving someone, forgiving someone, and praying for someone. You're never going to regret doing those things, especially when it's in the name of, I can't think of a time where I'm like, boy, I really wish I hadn't prayed for that guy. You know what I mean? You're never going to regret that perspective, but you know what you will regret? Boy, I shouldn't have treated them like dirt because what did that help? I shouldn't have hit back because what did that accomplish? Especially if we're looking at things from a Jesus perspective and a kingdom perspective. See, we can be blind to God's kindness in the middle of suffering. When we're in the middle of suffering and we're in the middle of things just going awful in our life, it's really easy to forget about God's kindness because of the perspective that we're looking at it from. 
When we're in the middle of suffering, we focus on ourselves. We focus on our own needs. I've been wronged. This isn't fair, etc. And you know what? You might be right. You might be right. It, it, maybe it is wrong. Maybe it isn't fair. You may be 100% right on all of those things, but all you're doing is drinking poison. All we're doing is drinking poison. And you're like, Jay, I can't love them. You know what? I get that. But you can pray for them. You can pray for them. I'm, I'm sure you've probably said this a couple of times about some people. Boy, I really don't uh, like them right now, but I, but I love them. I can love them. And you're like, boy, how, how can I do that? How can I do that? See, it, it shifts the perspective. It shifts our perspective when we pray for someone. When we pray for somebody, even if we don't like them in the moment, and we pray for them, you see things from a Jesus perspective. You see kindness. You see God's kindness. You, you will see how loving them is praying for them. You may not be able to say something to them to their face or anything along those lines, but you can pray for them, and praying for someone is loving someone. And you know, even when Joseph was sold into slavery, God was with him, and Joseph knew it. Joseph knew that God was with him, and one of the reasons that I believe Joseph was able to make it through all of that, all of that time, and still trusting in the Lord through all of it, was because he understood a theological principle called the sovereignty of God. And this might sound weird, but stick with me as this is going to come full circle, right? The idea of the sovereignty of God, if you've never heard this or maybe you've heard this word before, let me do my best to kind of simply explain this, this idea, because I believe Joseph knew it and understood it, which is what directed his actions as he moved forward. Because we can be blind to God's kindness in the middle of suffering because we may not fully grasp this idea, the biblical teaching is this, that God is king, that God is supreme ruler and lawgiver over the entire universe and his very nature as powerful and omnipotent and able to accomplish his good pleasure and carry out his decree and keep his promises as he sees fit. And it includes all things that we see, things that we don't see, and his sovereignty includes all people and all things and all potential situations. And this was understood even by David in Psalms. Look at this in Psalms, this verse. It says, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens as his kingdom rules over all. Do not take a verse like this for granted. This says huge things. His kingdom rules over all. That's very all-encompassing. He is omnipotent, meaning unlimited power and all-powerful. But that also means that he has some limitations. You're like, wait, what? What did you just say? He has limitations? Now, follow, follow me. Stick with me here for a second. He will not be able to do anything, and he cannot do anything that is contrary to his nature, or he is not God. Understand the point of that. He cannot look at sin. He cannot deny his existence. He cannot lie. He cannot be tempted by sin. He cannot go contrary to who he is or he would be denying himself. And so when it comes to us, we have to use that filter, his sovereignty, to work in our lives. And God cannot involve himself in something that goes against his nature or he is not sovereign and is not God. 
He can't make a true myth. Think about that. He can't make a true myth. See, we try to rationalize and we try to justify and we try to find loopholes in our life to make things better or to make us feel better about ourselves or about our choices that we have made, but not God. He can't. He can't. And that is because he is sovereign and that should bring us comfort and help us to keep a proper godly perspective as we navigate the valleys and peaks of this life. Because God is in a category all his own, right? There is no one like him. There never will be. There never has been. There never will be anyone like him because he is God. He, he created categories. So there's no, nothing outside of him. However, God has seen fit to create us with the power of choice. We have the, you, had, you had the power of choice to, whether to be here today or to watch online. You had that power today and you continue to have that power. We can choose good. We can choose evil. We are not pre-chosen to a certain destiny. You have moral freedom and that is by his design. We get to choose our own eternal destiny. And so does he guide and direct our paths? Yeah, he absolutely does as we choose to listen to the guidance of the Holy Spirit if we listen. Are we even listening to all that? To chapter 45, verse 8 in Genesis, back in Genesis says, so then it was not you who sent me here, but God. And it all comes back around to you seeing Joseph's perspective on this whole thing because he understands the sovereignty of God in his life. See, his perspective here was, was really what brought him through everything in his life and gave him freedom from the revenge mentality that chains us up and keeps us in the valleys all too often. He understood the sovereignty of God, and so his only choice was forgiveness. His only choice was forgiveness because he sees all that happens as from the hand of God. And we need to as well. We need to see all that happens as from the hand of God. You know why? Because it is. Because it is. Joseph sees all that has happened to him from being sold as a slave to prison to his rise to power alongside Pharaoh, all of that as from the hand of God as God's hand being thoroughly involved in all of it. And you can't totally get your head around all of that. I understand. But consider habits that we have, like, like prayer or habits that we should have. As we talked about last week, staying in God's word. These are things that keep you coming back to God, keep you coming back into the community of God, and these are things that are going to help you reorient yourself, reorient your, your mind, your heart, your perspective toward him when you're tempted to believe that you are forgotten by God, when you're tempted to believe that you're just a victim in the valley in that moment of your life or moments. See, we know that Joseph didn't have this familiar verse that we're going to look at next in, in Romans chapter 8. We know he didn't have this verse, but he lived it. But I want you to see it in context, wrapped in everything that we've talked about, 
and everything that's wrapped around it. And Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 26, says, Now in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. You ever try to pray and because of whatever's going on in your life, whatever that moment is, you just can't verbalize it. You just, I don't even know what to say, God, but I just, I'm here. I have a feeling we've all been in that moment one time or another. See, God knows the hearts of his kids. God knows your heart. The Holy Spirit, as it says, is going to step in, step alongside, and actually help guide our prayers. So verse 28 is is talking about knowing that he is in control and he is sovereign over all things. Not some things, but together, all things. And that's an important thing to remember, not individually, but together, all of these things. And as children of God, we are called according to his purpose, not to our purpose. And this is not prosperity gospel. This is not just saying that everything is going to work out fine if you follow God. If that's what you're hearing, you're not hearing me. That's not what the Bible says either. This is God's plan. This is God's plan, God's purpose in our lives, and knowing that no matter what happens, it will be good according to his purpose, not according to your purpose, not according to my purpose or someone else's purpose, but according to his purpose. And that's why the connection point is that the valleys and peaks are for his glory, are for his glory and our good. The valleys and peaks are for his glory and for our good. Listen, God orchestrates and is part of orchestrating all things. Even some of the things that are awful in our life, you better believe that as his child, as a follower of him, that his hand is there and things can be orchestrated in ways that you can't even imagine. It's for his glory and for our good. So let me ask you this question. As we think about this whole idea, Where have you seen God? Where have you seen God use even hard things, tough things, difficult things in your life for your good and for his glory? Let me ask you that again. Where have you seen God use even hard things, difficult things, tough tough things, tough times for your good and for his glory? I bet you have more than you realize. Maybe you just never looked at it that way. Rick Warren says this, our greatest pain God uses for the greatest ministry. Think about that. Our greatest pain God uses for the greatest ministry. I'm living proof of that. I can think of the times in my life that have been the greatest pain that God has used to prepare me for what he wants to do for his purpose, not mine. And I'd be willing to bet you could say the same. You may be in the middle of your greatest pain 
right now. I have no doubt that there's some here and watching online that may be in the middle of that. Hold on to the sovereignty of God. So what's holding you back from maybe reacting like Joseph? What might you need to change to help you move forward toward a place of forgiveness? Because Jesus forgave all of us. And that forgiveness is available to anyone and everyone. Can you bow your heads with me? I don't know what you're going through right now, but God does because he's sovereign. I don't know what's keeping you down in the valleys or maybe what's pushing you toward the peaks, but God does because he's sovereign. Maybe there's some area of your life that that you need to give over to the Lord. Maybe there's someone in your life that you need to forgive. And maybe that someone is you. Maybe you need to start with forgiving yourself and realizing that he's forgiven you. Would you be willing to lean into the sovereignty of God today and realize how much he loves you and how his hand is working together in all things? And it may not be in your timing, but it will always be in his. If you haven't put your trust in Jesus for eternal life, maybe you're not 100% sure that you would be with him, with him in heaven. If you were to die right now, I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to talk with you today about that. Jesus, I love you. I thank you so much for your forgiveness. I thank you for your your sovereignty, Lord. I thank you that you are over all things, that you are king of all things, even when for us as lowly humans that get most things wrong, Father, that you still love us and you're still here and you're still guiding and directing us, Lord. I pray that we would listen. Father, I pray that um, for, for those here that, that may be struggling with, with forgiveness, struggling with something in, in their life that, that maybe they just need to bring to you, I pray that that would happen. Holy Spirit, I pray you would continue to move today, right now. And if there's one that doesn't know you as Savior, that's unsure that they're gonna be with you in eternity, God, I pray that today would be the day that they would make that decision, that they'd be willing to talk to the person next to them to come find me or someone else to pray with. Maybe even just start down the path of getting their questions answered, Lord. I pray that you would just move in that direction. God, help us to really just lean into the fact that you are sovereign and in control as we go through this week and through this life. Thank you for the comfort and the rest that we can have in that. And I pray for that for each and every one of us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, before I let you go, I want to do, I, I do want to give everyone just uh, an update on, on a few things. Um, before we go. This is only just going to be a few minutes, a little bit of a family talk here uh, for just a quick second. Um, we do have Trunk or Treat coming up this afternoon at 3 o'clock. 
and it's going to be an awesome time. Um, it's going to be an awesome uh, thing that we can do and continue to do for the community, which is what we're about, Christ, community, and purpose. Um, and so let me give you an update on the building uh, and where we are. Obviously, we are making great progress, and it looks fantastic, yeah? Um, our, our construction teams are, are doing amazing. So thankful for what we're seeing God do. That's only four days of construction, by the way. Isn't that nuts? Um, yeah, it's incredible uh, the way that things are going. And, and it's so awesome to see. Um, but I want to be honest about a couple of things and just be honest about where we are and what we need to do as we continue to move forward here. Because the delay in the permits um, also caused delays in uh, the fundraising campaign and in the ideas uh, behind that and the timing. Um, for those of you that have been a part of this from day one back in February as we sort of launched this more than a building campaign and idea, um, this month was actually supposed to be the month that we were uh, going to close it out and, uh, and things have changed <laughs> because we thought, uh, as I was preaching about, our plans um, are not God's plans. And, uh, and so we did not fully expect for uh, us to actually be beginning construction this month. Uh, we really thought that we would be completing the building this month. Uh, but God had other plans, and um, as he so often does. Um, however, I do want to say this. The consistent uh, giving toward the building fund has been amazing. And I can't thank you enough. Uh, the way in which our church family continues to put God's, God first, his mission first, is beyond incredible. And I can't thank you enough for that. But here's where we are right now. So every miracle starts with a problem, right? Every miracle starts with a problem. And our problem is that we want to do more ministry, but uh, we don't have the room to do it all. Uh, and we don't have enough money to pay for it all. Um, we have raised thus far uh, a little bit around $400,000 toward the building, uh, which is incredible and amazing for, uh, for a church our size and all of that. That's, that's a great thing. However, that leaves us a little less than a million dollars short, uh, just to be clear on that. Uh, now, most of that 400000 that we've raised uh, is going to be gone in the first phase of construction that is happening right now. Uh, for that to be done and for the contractors to continue moving on, we're going to need another 350000 for them to keep moving forward in probably a month and a half or so. Um, and so then another 350000 for them to continue moving forward a few months after that. Uh, and then I believe there's uh, another payment uh, around the same amount uh, after that as well. Uh, some of you are doing the math and you're like, no, that's wrong. I don't math that great. Um, but at least not off the top of my head. So the, uh, the spiritual leadership team and myself, uh, which is the spiritual leadership team, uh, helps uh, steward the finances uh, for the church, among a few other things. Um, we've been pursuing financing options because, quite frankly, that's where we are. Uh, we have uh, two different institutions that we're working with and, and talking with. Um, and uh, we want to see what the best option is for us. And we are close to making a recommendation to the church. Uh, but I want everybody to clearly hear me that no decision has been made on that right now. Of course, we would uh, love to not get a loan. We would love to not get a loan. But this is where we are unless the rest comes in over the next couple of weeks, uh, if I'm being honest with you. So we have two choices here as a church and as a church family. We either pay as we go 
which this is real math now, um, based on the amount of, of money that is consistently coming in, which is incredible, uh, toward the building. Uh, if we were to just pay as we go and save up and, be, and to be able to pay for it when it's done, it would take us about nine and a half to 10 years to raise uh, the money at the current rate in which it's coming in uh, to pay for the rest of the building. And by then, uh, the building would be way more expensive than it is right now because we all know the cost of things uh, going up and down. Um, but uh, here's great news. Uh, the rate at, at which um, funds have been coming in, designated funds coming in, would more than cover a monthly payment, way more than cover a monthly payment at the current rate in which designated funds toward the building are coming in. And so as we finalize the, the financing, um, I'm going to present it to you uh, and present it to the church before any decision is made. So I hope everybody clearly hears me. We have not taken out a loan as of today. No decision has been made. Um, and according to our bylaws, we cannot do that unless we vote on it as a church family. And so we're not putting the cart before the horse or anything like that. We're doing our due diligence um, as, as we're looking into things. And so here's what I'm asking because I want to be as clear and transparent with the church as we possibly can uh, in all of this. And I feel like we've done that thus far. So here's, here's what I'm asking. First, pray. We need to pray. Immeasurably more prayer is what, is what we believe in. And that's the kind of church we are. We, we believe in prayer and we are a church of prayer. And I'm so thankful for that. Secondly, uh, I'm going to ask you to continue to give toward the building as well. Um, I'm so thankful that the way that the, the building fund has continued to, to see consistent giving coming in and our regular giving that takes care of just the, the day-to-days has stayed consistent as well. And so I'm so thankful for that. But as I mentioned, the current amount coming in monthly going toward uh, the building would more than cover a monthly payment if that continues, if the, if the money that's coming in uh, consistently continues which is why we pursued financing. I would not have pursued financing if I thought that we were going to have to uh, compromise any other ministry or any other area of ministry anywhere else uh, because for those of us that have been through this in, in the past and all that, we're not gonna go down that road again. You better believe me on that. Um, we're, going to, uh, we're going to do this the right way and we're gonna be good stewards of God's money. Um, and so... I'm thankful that the money that's coming in right now would more than cover a monthly payment, especially if that increases. We would then be even quicker to, uh, to paying that off when, when and if we get to that point. And so I'm asking you just blatantly and boldly to continue to sacrifice and give toward the building fund weekly, monthly. I give toward it weekly, so I'm not asking anybody to do anything that I'm not willing to do myself. Um, whatever the Lord lays on your heart, uh, every designated penny Hear me when I say this. Every designated penny is being put toward it, as you can see. Every designated penny is going toward there. I believe we've earned that trust. Uh, and so if you're able to give a large one-time gift as well, we would more than be happy to accept that also. Um, but if we have to finance, then the goal would be to pay it off as soon as possible because quite frankly, church, I know we can't afford another million dollars right now because it's not sitting there to pay for it, but we can't afford to not continue to move forward with ministry and with that building as a church. And so I believe that God has given us a plan and given us a way to do that, but at the same time, at the end of the day, we are not going to be able to say that this was anything that we did we are only going to be able to say that this is what he did because we are sitting in a building that you cannot explain by human standards 
in terms of the way that this all came about. It is here, and there's a building uh, that's being started over there that is the exact same thing. We are not going to be able to puff up ourselves or anyone other than the name of Jesus when that building gets completed. And so let me just kind of end this whole thing with Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21 that says this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Outcomes are God's responsibility. Obedience is ours. Amen? Amen. So this is where we are. And so let's pray and ask for the Lord's favor, for his blessing, and for his wisdom as we continue to move forward. Let's pray. Father, I love you and I thank you so much for the way in which you move. And God, we thank you for the progress that's been made thus far. And Lord, while we are in in a season of still trying to figure out some of this plan, Lord, that, that we know is yours, I pray, God, that you would give us wisdom, that you would give us direction, you would give us guidance, that you would lay on our hearts uh, what it is that you would have us to give or to continue to give toward this. I pray for favor with the financial institutions as we're trying to move forward and figure out a way uh, to, to fund this and to completely get it, get it finished here in just a few months. Lord, we know that if the contractors don't have to stop, that this building will be done in just a few months and we can continue to do things and, and we can move our student ministries in there and, and we can continue to, uh, to push forward with the things that we'd like to do for the community uh, and all of that with the building, Lord, because it is about so much more than a building. It's about connecting people to you. It's about connecting to the community and to the purpose you have in each and every one of our lives. So, Father, we thank you that we are a part of this together as a church family and that you would be able to provide all that is needed. Lord, you are not broke by any stretch. And so, God, I know that you have a plan and you have a way, Lord, and we are trusting in your sovereignty. Jesus, we thank you. We praise you. It's all for you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here.